Hey guys, today's show is brought to you by one of our newest and favorite sponsors, and that is Photo IQ. Photo IQ offers digital photography online courses like none other of its kind. Okay, it's explained simply, concisely. There's no jargon, no overcomplications, and there are lessons for from beginner to intermediate photographer from ages 13 and up. It's the only digital photography course of its kind that offers online um, quizzes, personal feedback. You get to upload your your homework, and it'll help you build your own portfolio. It's going to be more in depth than anything you've probably taken in high school, and even if you took some like freshman level courses in college. Okay, and you can do this all socially distance from home you know we're all stuck in our houses under these uh lockdown restrictions and you know some of your schools aren't open well this is a great way to learn a new skill maybe develop an alternate source of income and get that side gig starting to sort of free yourself up so what i need you to do is go to photoiq.co and use the promo code fiction to get you 10% off. He offers a 30-day money-back guarantee. You got nothing to lose. So ditch those pathetic sunset pictures you guys have been taking. Go to photoiq.co, use promo code FICTION, and start learning how to take anything from camera basics, still life, food, landscapes, portraits, black and white, action photos, everything that you could possibly imagine. He's got a course for it. It's going to be better than anything you can find on YouTube. So go to photoiq.co and use promo code FICTION. All right, let's get on with the show. Anyone claiming that America's economy is in decline is peddling fiction. I've abandoned free market principles to save the free market system. so that you can uh, find out what is in it. Raising the debt ceilings does not increase our debt. It does not somehow promote profligacy. I know words. I have the best words. Nobody knows the system better than me, which is why I alone can fix it. What's up, everybody? Welcome back to a brand new episode of Peddling Fiction. I, of course, am your host, the voice and soul of so-called fiction, Johnny Profita. And for those of you not familiar with the show, we generally talk about politics, current events, and economics from a libertarian point of view. Except that today, you might notice a few different changes. For one thing, If everything works out, we'll have video today, and this will be up on our YouTube channel. But I am joined with a very special guest. Her name is Martha Bueno. She is the director of uh, Hispanic Outreach for the Libertarian Campaign. Is that correct? For Dr. Jorgensen's campaign. For Dr. Jorgensen's campaign, absolutely. And um, yeah, so here she is, Martha Bueno. Tell us a little bit about yourself. Well, first of all, thank you for having me. I really appreciate the opportunity. And um, so, yes, I'm a libertarian. I got picked to help Joe Jorgensen on her uh, campaign. I got to do Hispanic outreach, which is something that I believe no libertarian candidate before had really focused on. So she definitely took um, an idea that I had and let me run with it, which was really great. 
In addition to that, I'm an elected libertarian here in Miami. I am a community council member um, and also the vice chair of our local uh, LP affiliate. So Excellent. Wow, you're a busy girl. Yeah, I am all in on the libertarian everything. (laughs) Awesome. And you're not a redhead, which is always refreshing. It seems like every- it's a bad thing, though. I feel like all libertarians, you know, especially the women, seem to be redheads. So yeah, it is weird, but it's refreshing to see a brunette. <laughs> well, I am Hispanic, so it is a little weird to see redheaded. <laughs> Although I do know a few. <laughs> so, how did you um, get involved in politics to begin with? Oh boy. Um, so, if anyone follows me on Twitter or whatever, you'll know that I'm just really uh, loudmouth. And I have a lot of opinions. So, <laughs> you know, it's it's kind of the natural progression to see where your opinions fit in. And um, somewhere in the 2000s, my uncle, who was a libertarian, was like, you know, I think you might be a libertarian. And I was like, mm, what is that? I've never heard of that. And so, you know, over over time, I feel like it's the libertarian progression. You start off calling yourself a libertarian or agreeing with it. And then little by little, you go down these wormholes of, of you know, uh, government is terrible and you start going down and you you realize, you know, all these things that you thought were true, um, just, you know, oh, you need taxes to pay for these things. You know, you kind of start realizing that mm, maybe there's better ways of doing it. Absolutely. You know? so, so that started my getting into politics, getting into, uh, you know, just this crazy idea. And somewhere in 2016, I saw that Gary Johnson, who was running, had opportunities for volunteering. And I actually flew out to New Mexico and went to the party. I went to a few different protests for Gary Johnson. And I kind of just realized it's, you know, you just have to do the thing, you know, just put in the little bit that you can. And it actually makes a difference, especially in a party like ours, where um, any little thing can really make a difference because there's not a whole lot of us doing the the thing or whatever thing it is that, you know, can can get liberty out, you know, having a podcast, having a show, just talking to people, really anything right now is useful. Absolutely. So where did you start off politically? Where did you come from? Which side of the spectrum? Uh, Technically from no side. I was not registered as anything. I called myself a Republican just because, you know, you call yourself what your parents are or what. uh, At that point, I thought I was a Republican. And then I voted for Bush, the first uh, W, (laughs) the first time in 2000. That was the first time I ever voted. And I was so disappointed with my vote. I couldn't believe that the man that I voted for went to war and I had no idea why we went to war. And so um, that's kind of where, you know, you, you start seeing that, that no matter what, um, just government tells you one thing and then they do something completely different. Yeah, and no, that's actually point. exactly what happened to me. The, the first time I voted was George W. And um, maybe two years after his uh eight years in office, I was almost a full-fledged libertarian. Right. I, I mean, I think, he converted. Right. <laughs> I think he converted a lot of people, him and Ron Paul, I think were really, you know, people that converted a lot of libertarians. Yeah. <laughs> Did you have um, sort of uh, a libertarian moment or something when everything kind of clicked or was it just a slow progression? Man, I, I, I want to say that I had a moment, but I feel like I have moments all the time. And so recently, um, you know, I was going to ask you how Kiara is doing. Um, I did see that you. Oh, you uh, did. Yeah, I did see that you were um, very graciously helping, helping your friend's daughter. And so 
I think that even that had a moment for me. Um, a few years back, I was really big on the cannabis uh, industry and like really, you know, the trying to get it legalized here in Florida. Uh, we have medical cannabis. And um, I went to a lot of events. I got petition signed. And one of the most impactful things for me was meeting a group of moms called Moms, which were moms that had children that needed cannabis and couldn't get it, right? They, they weren't allowed to give it to their children. One of the moms who has become my friend since then, Giselle, has a little boy, Bruno, with um, Dravet syndrome, which caused him to have over 200 seizures a day. Oh, and so yeah. somebody paid for her to take, she's a single mom of two children, paid for her to go to California um, and, you know, get this treatment. And her son went from all of these problems to much better, this great improvement. And so when I met her, it, um, cannabis was in the very first stages of legalization in Florida. And she had to jump through all of these hoops for her kid. So, you know, when you see a child that that is needs something, um, I'm a mom, I would I would do anything for them. And so to see that this government entity, that these people that we basically choose for this job, these people that were like, hey, um, you know, tell us how we're going to live our lives, don't have any medical experience whatsoever. They are the thing that can block a mom from helping her child get what your, her child needs. And I thought about that and I had this, you know, coming to Jesus moment. It's like, what do you mean you're not going to let her <laughs> give this thing that was proven? It works. It works for her kid. Her kid started eating and started doing better. And, you know, just she sh it was a, an event where she spoke and she had pictures and, you know, you saw the progression of her child go through it. And I just couldn't believe that we had people that could make these decisions for parents. You know, not only that, but they'll they'll punish them for for trying to help their kid or save their kid's life or something like that. It's terrible. Right. You see those stories um, when I think it was California first legalized it on the state level, but the federals, you know, they were still going after guys that were like, you know, in a hospital bed, they're, they're putting the cuffs on them for, for smoking weed. It's right. Absolutely it's ridiculous. So sad. You know, there's so many people that could be helped. I mean, obviously cannabis is the big one, but I think that, you know, we're proving that there's lots of things, you know, mushrooms that are now, or shrooms or whatever you want to call them, um, you know, now we're seeing that they can really help people with PTSD, people with, you know, severe depression. And so, you know, when you have a person that's like, you can't do these things because there's no real reason. I mean, it's not like cannabis has ever in over 8,000 years that we have history ever killed a single human being, right. you know? So it's not even like a legitimate reason. It's like, well, you can't have this because one out of every two people that takes it dies. Well, okay, I see your point, but literally nobody's ever died from <laughs> cannabis in the entire history of humanity. So uh, even, you know, car accidents, which is what they say, it's like, well, we have to protect you from car accidents. Well, you know, there's no evidence that it actually impairs your driving substantially. I, you know, don't come back and tell me, oh my God, yeah. it's wrong. Don't, don't, don't smoke and drive. <laughs> but I mean, it's just, there's no real reason, at least none that I can find. Yeah. I'm, I'm sure it's more dangerous to drive and potentially have a seizure behind the wheel than to uh, have a little buzz. Good point. But uh, <laughs> a buddy of mine was actually, I had a roommate in college who was epileptic and it was weird. I mean, this was not a scientific study or anything like that, but his, uh, his seizures did go down when he started smoking a lot of weed. And when he stopped, <laughs> they, they came right back with a vengeance. So it was, it was pretty interesting to see. 
It but, is um, anecdotal, but we do know that cannabis THC specifically is very good for seizures. I mean, it really helps control it. So, you know, yeah. I don't, it's anecdotal, but probably pretty true. <laughs> well, and all the great things that they're doing with CBD now, right. which is you can still get some of those effects without having to, to get high off of it. It's a it, very exciting time. Very in the, exciting in the time, world but of alternative CBD don't medicines. let it fool you. Because CBD, you really do need for epilepsy, you really do need the THC. So there's you an do. entourage effect. And you also okay. like after six months is pretty much uh, CBD stops working to the full effect. And you really need that THC because I used to buy into that too. It's like, well, at least let them have CBD. But um, the reality is it doesn't work the same for everyone. And okay. so, um, you know, just being like, well, we should have CBD and not THC scares me because people really need the full medicine. And I don't think we should have any block on any of these, you know, in Florida, they tried to put a 10% limit on THC. Well, how do you like, who came up with this number? <laughs> you know, I want to know, I want to see the science. Where does the science tell us that 10% is, is the yeah. maximum we should have? Yeah, no, <laughs> they the always just come up with like that. Yeah. There's always just some arbitrary number. Like you right. got the end the Fed shirt on. They they came up with two percent inflation for some reason. Like that's the magical number. Apparently <laughs> it is, you know. <laughs> the magic government gods told them that two percent That's right. <laughs> and we must never question them. Never. Um, <laughs> but yeah, since you brought it up, uh Kiara is doing much better so far. Um it, it seemed to be some sort of bacterial infection that was um eating, eating away at her cellulose or something like that. And it was causing her blood sugar to plummet. And so she collapsed like a couple times in a day. And I guess she wasn't eating often enough. And so um, they ran a bunch of tests. They're still not exactly sure if that was the cause, but it, it seems like it. She hasn't had another episode since she got out of the hospital. And uh, yeah, her mom was just blown away when she got like a little notification that you know, we were, we were uh, sending money to cover the, the hospital bills and everything. Cause yeah, she was going to put it on like a credit card. And I was just like, you're just going to get killed at like a 20% interest rate. I can't let you do that. So that it, really yeah. awesome. I, and I was just, I was blown away at the number of uh, people that uh, helped support everything. I mean, it was, it was a really good libertarian moment where just people come together voluntarily. It works. A cause that they believe in. And yeah. It, yeah, it should, to the extent that we have government programs, they should all be sort of like a GoFundMe campaign. Right. I mean, I think I, I would pay my taxes a little happier, you know, if I could like specifically direct where my funds were going, you know, at least if I have to pay into it, right. I might as well be able to direct, you know, I really don't want my money going to war. I'm sorry. I really right. hate that part. Yeah. You know, it really upsets me at night to think that I'm paying for uh, the killing of other people around the world. Yeah, yeah, we, we got to go bomb democracy into every every country in the Middle East. You know, and, but now uh, we have somebody that's going to look good while doing it. Right. Can't yeah. forget how important that is. Yeah, yeah, he'll come out smelling like roses as the bombs drop. Well, I was even talking about Kamala, who you know, I saw some it going around the other day. I, I think I retweeted somebody saying, you know, it's just she she looks so good you know, wearing her Timberlands and doing, you know, she looks great. Uh, so, you know, it's like we're back to Obama years. It's, it doesn't matter that the bombing happens as long as we look good doing it. Yeah. Yeah. It really is just unbelievable and how little um, attention it gets now. I mean, granted, these are the the longest running wars in American history, but 
you would think the party that claims to be championing uh, uh, brown, black and brown people around the world would uh, want to mention the fact that we're, we're killing tens of thousands of them. I mean, you're in Mexico, so you know what the United States does. I mean, we we just kind of do things all around the world. So, you know, Hispanic stuff is kind of my my thing. So, um, you know, what we do to Hispanic countries and we tell them you can't create these drugs, you can't send them to us. So it's going to get done anyways, because that is that is what they have. I mean, you go to Peru and they have a lot of coca leaves. So they they are going to create this product. Unfortunately for for them, the United States has told them that they can't. And so we have these cartels and, you know, all this this prohibition problem that we already know doesn't work. We kind of export it to these countries and then we make, you know, then we're all like upset that they want to come here and get, you know, and save themselves from what we've caused. basically. Right. Right. So tell me a little bit more about the um, Hispanic outreach angle, because I wasn't aware that the uh, Libertarian Party was even sort of going after different uh, groups of people. So um, that sounds like it's a lot bigger than it really is. Okay. (laughs) Um, This kind of started as a um, a pestering more than anything to to Dr. Jorgensen's campaign. And I was like, you know, there's 30 million Hispanics in the United States, and we really believe in this stuff. I mean, talk about a group of people that is Libertarian. We don't come to this country asking for a handout. We come to this country because we don't have anywhere else to go. I happen to be of Cuban descent, and I also lived in Venezuela for six years. So um, I've had my fair share of of, uh, communism and socialism and stuff. And so, you know, we take for granted in Latin America that there's this wonderful country, the United States, that we can all come to and, um, you know, give it a shot. And so that isn't an option really anymore. A lot of people, especially Venezuelans and Nicaraguans coming now are getting deported. Um, People who are coming here for uh, real reasons, people that if they go home, chances are they're going to be killed. We're we're deporting them. We're we're doing these things to them. So I think, um, you know, very recently there was that news about uh, uh, women at ICE detention centers being uh, forced to have hysterectomies. So I think that you know, if we would have focused more on those issues, especially amongst Hispanics, um, we would have come out ahead. Uh, we didn't have a budget for Joe's campaign. Uh, she did amazingly well with the under $3 million that she did manage to raise. That was substantially less than Gary Johnson, who had about $12 million. So we didn't have a budget. Um, and we had the problem that um, no media really wanted to talk to us, uh, especially Hispanic media. They, are, they were, by and large... Um, depends, you know, most of them were on Trump's side, but like Univision is completely on Biden's side. They just didn't even want to talk to any of us. So like I said, I pestered Joe's team and they're like, well, have at it. Um, my good friend, Zach Foster and I just, uh, were offered a, a kind of show on LPTV on their, on their, uh, YouTube channel. And so we do that every Wednesday night. Um, it's completely in Spanish. It's the only Spanish language, anything in the LP. And so um, I think it's more of uh, Zach and I and a lot of people that ha- are pushing for this. A lot of people came out and told us, it's great you're doing this. We we didn't have anything on this front. And I agree. I think there's so many people that we could be reaching that ha- share our values. And um, instead, as a general proposition, the Libertarian Party goes after the same group, um, which is ex-Republicans, ex-Democrats, and instead of like finding our own you know, group 30 million voters is up for grabs is basically where I'm at. That's that could make a difference. Um, <laughs> <A little bit. laughs> yeah. So 
what was your sort of overall assessment with the Joe Jorgensen Spike Cohen campaign? Um, so I have to start out by saying that I wasn't necessarily a full Joe Jorgensen supporter at the beginning. Okay. Um, I definitely warmed up to her. I think she's a magnificent woman. I think, uh, you know, there was a lot of snafus with the campaign and everybody in the Libertarian Party wants to, you know, Monday night quarterback the situation. But um, I think there, she was a fantastic candidate. She did everything she could. Uh, there was a few glitches. Um but she gave it her all. She went around the country. I mean, to watch her mom pass away and it not even be covered on any news uh, source. And she took three days off and then went right back to Alaska. And I mean, it's just, I can't imagine being in her shoes. Uh, and to know, you know, to know ultimately that you're tr probably not going to win and yet to do this thing that she committed to do that um, is, it's thankless. I mean, I, I was on that bus. Trust me, it was not a luxurious bus. Um, she didn't stay in, you know, a lot of luxurious places. She didn't go to eat at the best places. Um, a lot of the things she cooked for herself. I mean, you know, it's just it's a hard job to do, especially for us with the nobody really cares who you are and um, a lot of issues coming up. Spike, on the other hand, I mean, I think he's amazing. I think he should definitely run for president uh, in four years for okay. under our party. I, I'm totally on the spike train. I think, man, can he speak? And when he speaks, we listen. I mean, just, I like them both. I don't know. Yeah, it, it was definitely refreshing to have some principled libertarians on the ticket for once and not just like an ex-Republican or yes. what, whatever or that weird thing was in 2016 with. Yes. I like that we didn't endorse any Democrat this time around, you know, yeah, or like Hillary Clinton. Nice. She's a great gal. Um, yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> that was, that was, that was um, a low point for our party. <laughs> not going to lie. And so I'm happy that we have, um, you know, we yeah, have, it's, it definitely looks like a grind. And it's just unbelievable to me how little media attention she would get. I mean, you have a woman on the, the, the ballots in all 50 states. I didn't see her really do one interview, I don't think. Um, I think she might have gotten on onto one. I didn't see it. And nobody covered it. Uh, I was actually talking to my mom the other day. And I was like, yeah, I'm doing the this podcast uh, on Monday, I'm interviewing this girl for the, you know, she's working for the libertarian uh, party or whatever. And she's like, who was the candidate? Okay. So um, we obviously need to do a better job in the future, but yeah, that was one of the first uh, things from her campaign is we started tweeting out. She's with us. And it was, it was, Oh my God, that is Hillary Clinton's hashtag. You can't take it. <laughs> And so, um, you know, I thought it would definitely trend amongst that crowd. You know, four years ago, I was told that I was not a woman because I wasn't voting for the woman. You know, it was like, well, I, it doesn't matter that you don't like her policies. She's a woman. Don't you want to see a woman in the White House? And it's like, yes, I do. But not that one. Right. And so now I figured I'd use the same thing. You know, well, don't you want to see a woman in that White House? And they're like, well, Kamala's running for vice president. You know, and it's like, no, no, there's an actual woman running. Um, so yeah, obviously to, that didn't work out. <laughs> yeah, we don't wait, have to wait for Joe Biden's dementia to go full blown or for him to just die in office before you actually get someone. You could have just voted them in. You um, could have, and they would probably end the wars, you know, so there was that.
Yeah. Wouldn't that be nice? Yeah, that would have um, been true. So in, in terms of the, the messaging for libertarianism, uh, do you have to do, do you have different messaging when you're approaching the Latino community or Hispanics in general or anything like that? Oh, of course. So uh, first of all, a lot of, uh, especially Americans, don't realize that there's over 20 countries that Hispanics come from, Latinos come from. So, um, you know, when you talk about individuals, really, Hispanics, we're a whole group of individuals that get lumped into one big category. Right. So yes, of course, if I'm going to speak to Venezuelan, I'm going to speak to issues that that matter to them, socialism, you know, uh, how they were voting for free things and ended up with a country that is basically worthless and blah, blah, blah. Um, you know, it would be different if you're talking to somebody from Argentina, if you're, you know, of course, it's different. Um, and the ones in the United States, one of the points that I think uh, stood out for people in the United States is we've decided some, somehow some woke person in the U.S. decided to come up with Latin X. Oh, yeah. And so um, <laughs> I don't know how good your Spanish is, but you can't say this word in Spanish. It's right. Latin X. I mean, it's it's just it's so long. And, and Latino really is Latina, Latino. Like it's everything is in one word. It's like a perfect word. You don't need anything else. Right. Um, so whoever came up with this word didn't bother to see that you can't even pronounce it in our language. Like you're yeah. so woke. <laughs> Well, and the fact that you have like the two genders built into the language, you have a different word for men and women. And I, I don't know how they square that circle either with the 70 different genders or whatever is going on these days. <laughs> you know, I think it's just it, that's one of the benefits of Spanish. You know, you can just Latino hombres, you know, and it just covers everybody. You don't have to necessarily define every little, you know, yeah. every little gender nuance. And so most of the, I'm, I'm down in Mexico, as, as we talked about. So most of the Mexicans down here, I don't know where they fall politically. I just know that they hate Donald Trump. <laughs> like, I haven't run into one that isn't just like, did you vote for Trump? <laughs> well, um, we wanted to, I, I tried getting uh, some, some trolling done, you know, at the border. I wanted pictures of Joe on that side of the border. And like, if you just vote for her. <laughs> This wall will, you know, go away. So, um, yeah, I, I do know a lot of Latin people that did vote for Trump. A lot of Venezuelans did for some reason. Um, I think they see Biden more as a socialist. And so they freaked out and they went with the authoritarian that, you know, seems less socialist to them. I'm not sure why Donald Trump came across that way, to be honest. Yeah, I don't. Well, just because he says he's not a socialist. <laughs> You know, but he repeated a lot of Hugo Chavez's things. And actually, um, Zach made a video, my partner on the show, made a video and put it up um, where he compared side by side. Chavez says something and, and Trump says something and they said the same things. And yet these Venezuelans were looking at this and saying totally different. I mean, Chavez said he wasn't leaving office. Trump said the same thing. I mean, you know, yeah, I understand that Trump doesn't say that he's going to confiscate or, you know, the goods of, of people. And, you know, it's very different and it's a different feel. But still, yeah. they're both authoritarian. Yeah, no, I've, I've been following the Venezuela thing very closely for the last probably six or seven years. I've just watched that country completely collapse on itself. And it, it's just horrible what happened to them. 
It is. I lived there when Venezuela was a completely different country. So I was lucky enough to live there late 80s, early 90s. Um, and so, I mean, when I lived there, a, a tank of gas was five dollars because, of course, they so for people that don't know, uh, Venezuela has one of the largest oil reserves in the world. Forget about the Middle East. Venezuela has more, <laughs> yeah. you know, so um, it, it, just everything was cheap. It was it was great to live there. Um, you know, they were at the top of the food chain of Latin American countries mm -hmm. at that time. It wasn't perfect. There was a lot of corruption. There was a lot of poverty. There's a lot of things with, you know, developing nations as they are. Um, but then you see what's going on now. I mean, the Venezuelans that still are able to live there, they they have to scavenge for food. I mean, you see pe people picking like food out of the trash. There's yeah. just, there's nothing to eat. Um, there's been tons of stories. There's hardly any animals left, you know, people have had to eat their dogs for Christ's sake, you know, yeah. it's just, it is so terrible. And so when people here in the United States are like, well, that's never going to happen here. I wish I could show them the Venezuela that I lived in. Cause yeah. while it wasn't America, it, you know, it wasn't like, it wasn't what it is now. And it happened. I'm not even like that a old generation. It was like a 20 year period. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I'm, I'm not that old. <laughs> so yeah, it's, it's, um, it, it's, it happens fast. It happens fast. And um, it starts pretty much the same. So they take away your guns. And then they start telling you that the reason that you're poor is because these other people have all of your money. Um, I remember the rhetoric. And so it's just, it's scary to see it happening here. And um, people just don't want to really talk about it or you know it's it, we're fighting each other instead of realizing that what we all want to fight is this government you know we're fighting each other in these petty silly things of genders or colors or, or things that don't even matter right yeah transgender bathrooms and things like that when yeah I mean, they, they love the distraction you know they they get us bickering over that crap and then you know, they get to steal trillions of dollars, bail out the banks, bomb third world countries. Yeah. It's, uh, and it is just really, it's unbelievable to me that more people aren't libertarians and right. <laughs> actually in particular women, this is another thing that I wanted to talk to you about because I don't know what you found to be sort of like the most appealing thing that, that sort of brought you into libertarianism, but I look at the the analytics for my podcast and other podcasts and like, I'm lucky if I get like 10, 11% female listeners and I want to know how we can bring more women into this movement. Well, I think you hopefully just did. I hope some, some women want to, you know, hear another woman speak. Um, but how do we bring in women? I think the, the realization is that women tend to be libertarian. They just don't tend to go out and, and you know, don't have the opportunity. So like I said, I'm a mom, I'm a mom of four, and I really didn't get involved until I <laughs> divorced my ex-husband. And then all of a sudden had this free time, you know, when the kids were with their father. So, you know, I think it's a matter of just how we live our lives and the priorities that we give it. I know plenty of women who are libertarian and plenty of women who volunteer their time. As a matter of fact, um, one of my now friends, uh, Casey Daly, she did the the Let Her Speak. She's the one that came out with the Let Her Speak campaign. I don't know if you saw it. We we went out and we did a caravan of cars and, you know, got some notoriety. She was a mom working from home as we all were in COVID. 
And she's like, well, how can I help? And she created this whole thing, this whole grassroots campaign. So I think there's plenty of women, to be honest. I just don't think that we are nearly as vocal as a lot of men on social media. And I think that we're not nearly as out there because we do have other priorities. You know, if you work and you have kids, what time do you have left to give? Right, right. And so what do you think is the most, um, or I guess the best angle to sort of pitch libertarian ideas to women in, in general? Oh man, COVID really, I think was was it. I think you've, you've got the smorgasbord of everything that you could pitch to us. So we have our kids at home getting a great education while mom is there working, you know? So is it ideal? No, but I think we've all looked at what our kids are learning at school and we're all kind of like, really? That's, you know, in my case, I don't send my kids to public school. I pay for this. So when their teacher's not doing a great job, it's like, hmm, that's a lot of money. So I think this COVID thing kind of gave us a little bit, the whole lockdown concept, um, you know, people are still scared, obviously. So when you bring up that government shouldn't have forced us to lockdown, a lot of people are like, no, no, but then, you know, other bad things are going to happen. I think eventually with time, the sillier these these things go on, the easier it is to, to pitch people our ideas of just, I mean, government has no clue. I mean, today the big news is is government forgiveness of these student loans, you know, so another great point, you can, you're, if you're a 20 year old and you go to a bank with a business plan, you're like, hi, I want a hundred thousand dollars. Cause I have this great idea for this new company. 99% of the banks are going to be like, sorry, kid, come back when you've got some experience. Right. But if you're a 20 year old and you're like, here's, I want a hundred thousand dollars so that I can go get a degree in poetry. And they're like, yeah, sure. You know, so there's a lot of things that we can do to pitch people on libertarianism. I just think that we haven't found our voice necessarily. We're not good at it. We're so busy on taxation is theft and my roads <laughs> that we we lose that that thing that we have, which is truth, which is honesty, which is the reality of the world. We have economics on our side. We have these great ideas on our side. We just don't know how to sell them. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, the, the student loan thing should be should make every uh, 20 year old kid a, a libertarian. I mean, that is just a 100 percent government cause problem. And like you said, there's just there's no free market system with a bank that's going to give an 18 year old kid hundreds of thousands of dollars to go read books or, you know, take beer bongs at frat parties for four years and then get a degree in, you know, gender studies or something like that. It's and they give you extra money. I mean, you need whatever you need 20 grand. They're like, here's 25, you know, and if you're a kid, you're like, sure, you know, extra kegs for the party or whatever. I missed that part of, of uh, school. I, I had children. So I was, I was, <laughs> I wasn't that party person, but yeah, you know, it, it's just, it's too much money. It's too much responsibility and there's no collateral to it. So, you know, now to tell the responsible ones, well, yeah, we're going to give gonna, it to we're, these We're just going to bail everybody else out. <laughs> and the other thing is if you, you let them dispel it in bankruptcy or something, that's just going to encourage them to borrow even more money the next time, because, you know, the more in debt they come out of college, the more likely they'd be able to declare bankruptcy. Well, but yes and no. Think about it. If you declare bankruptcy, that's at least seven years that your credit is shot. I mean, there's a lot of you can't rent an apartment. You can't do a lot of things. So, you know, maybe that's if if we the taxpayers weren't on the hook for it, I'd be like, let them default all day long. It's just they put us in this terrible situation. 
And I really don't think a lot of people are going to default. If, if you went to college and you got a degree and you're moving along in your life, do you really want to go through bankruptcy, have that over your head? And some people will, of course. But yeah. do you really think the vast majority of people are going to do that? I think yes, be- only because <laughs> um, <laughs> they all like they all have like tens of hundreds of thousand dollars that you can just wipe the slate clean when you're in your 20s. Um yeah, I think that would be very tempting. And it just, I think the original reason why they did that, why they made it so you can't declare bankruptcy is because literally everyone just right out of college would be able to do it. You know, True. it's like you have you have no income, you have no job, you have no collateral, you have nothing. And, and they start charging these crazy fees. Right. I mean, yeah. I mean, I don't know if I would declare bankruptcy. I just wouldn't pay it. And I might try to leave the country or something. Uh, <laughs> but uh <Yeah. laughs> sounds like it, a plan <laughs> it is it is a really um just a, a perfect example of what government does right they they step in to you know get the votes of 18 year olds by promising them that they don't have to work summer jobs or anything like that just take the loan go to college and then when they saddle them with debt and they, they can't you know, do anything else with their lives. They can't get a house. They can't start a family. A lot of people are having their relationships ruined over student loan debt and things like that. And then it's like, oh, well, now that the government's created this problem, let's uh, just forgive all the debt and (laughs) make college free for everybody. And they just keep piling on more and more uh, failed government solutions to, to an original problem that they created. And punishing us, the people who did things the right way, um, more. Because like I said, I do have kids. And early on, I bought them. In Florida, we have a plan called Florida Prepaid, which basically they can go to any college. I already paid for it. Um, It's. I don't recommend it at this point now that I know more about actual finance and economics. I don't really recommend this plan. But I did. I bought it. And all of my kids have their college paid for. So if we're just going to, you know, wipe away college debt, then I've gotten screwed twice. You know, the first time when all these people were able to take loans that I never took in the first place and got it wiped out. And then the second time when I paid for my kids college and now, you know, everybody's getting it for free. So I think that they're the unintended consequence of government is always there. And it's to punish the people who did the right things and then reward those who didn't. Right. You know, not that I'm saying that people should be punished and, you know, it's just it's it's. There's no good solution. They've right. they've meddled so much that there's just no good solutions at this point. Yeah, no, they've they've done an unbelievable job of screwing up just about everything that they've gotten involved in, and including yeah, our healthcare. Right, Isn't healthcare scary? is a disaster, um, and they've gotten to the point where there are no you know easy choices. There's no panacea. It's like we're gonna have to make some really difficult choices in the next uh, I don't know ten years or so. They've, they've kept this party going a lot longer than I thought they could. I mean, I don't know how it's going to change, to be honest. I'm, I, I, the thing that worries me the most is that we don't have an exit strategy for what's going on right now. How do we fix this thing? How do we stop this train that's, you know, and I, I was just uh, rereading Atlas Shrugged. I couldn't really get through it the first time I tried. And so I start again, I'm almost done. And I'm like, Oh, my God, this is why every libertarians like read this book. It's like, literally, (laughs) I probably sound like the biggest airhead right now. But it's literally what's going on in the world right now. You know, it's the people who have the ideas and do the things and produce are being punished. 
And we're being told that that the people that produce and that do these things and whatever are like the pariah of society. I mean, I saw when somebody took uh, a guillotine to, to Jeff Bezos' house, you know, <laughs> it's like he became a trillionaire. We should chop his head off. Meanwhile, yes, and he's probably a bad example. He's probably done some not so favorable things. But talk about somebody who changed and revolutionized the way we do things. Let's take a quick second and thank our other dear, dear, dear sponsor of the show. You know him as Lorenzotti Coffee. Guys, if you like premium Italian coffee, but you hate going to these corporate, poorly managed, poorly prepared coffee houses, Starbucks, Dunkin' Donuts, things like that, especially now where you got to put on a mask on and stand in a socially distanced line, you're going to love Lorenzotti Coffee. They deliver premium Italian coffee and coffee brewing supplies right to your door. It's a small business that was started by two liberty-minded entrepreneurs who came together over their love of coffee and their desire to bring that small, independent coffee house feel back here across the pond to the United States. So what I want you to do is go to lorenzotti.coffee and use my promo code FICTION so they know I sent you and they'll give you 10% off your order. Even if you're not a coffee drinker yourself, I'm sure you know someone who does, and these tins are beautiful. They'd make a great you know, portion of a gift basket or something like that if you wanted to send somebody that you care about a package. Go to lorenzotti.coffee, use promo code FICTION, and you'll get 10% off. The first business I ever started was in the early 2000s, and it was an online company. And it, I remember watching Amazon and just being like, what is he doing? He's crazy. How can you offer free shipping when shipping was so crazy expensive at the time? And this whole, he created these things or his company or the people that work for him. But nonetheless, all of us were able to get stuff during uh, quarantine because of something that he created. Right. So why does he deserve to have his head chopped off? (laughs) I don't get it. (laughs) Yeah, Because he's rich. Karen was able to get her toilet paper delivered to her front door because of Amazon. I mean, come on. I mean, imagine if all of that stuff had to be coordinated by the federal government and you're sitting there waiting for, I don't know, the U.S. Postal Service or something to bring you all your stuff. It would it would have been just an unmitigated disaster. It would have been. Same token. If Amazon was doing our elections, I bet you we'd know who won. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> yeah. surprisingly i bet you it would have worked out better than yeah than the so is there any sort of um push or lobbying going on in the libertarian party or anything like that for some sort of like ranked voting system where like i kind of mm. feel like that's the only hope that a third party is going to have is if people don't feel like they're throwing away their vote by here's here's a little secret that i kind of have learned in this journey. And I really wish that if nothing else, this is the one thing people take away. The Libertarian Party is made up of you and me and all these little people that we, you know, and I mean little, like just all around the country. I don't mean it as an actual little, just although I am very little. I'm not too big either. (laughs) (laughs) Um, You know, I'm just saying that we, we are the party. We are the people that push it. Yes, there's an executive committee. Yes, there's these people that kind of give ideas and do it. But if you aren't doing this thing and you aren't getting people to this cause, it's probably not going to happen. The best way we can all do this ranked choice voting is to partner with the group that is more likely to get it passed. So there's going to be PACs or there's going to be organizations or even the Democratic Party 
And I know that, you know, we're libertarians and we don't like to play in other sandboxes. But to be honest, if we don't reach out to the Democrats and say, hey, let's work on this issue, we're never going to get it done. We need one of the two parties to kind of uh, work with us, unfortunately. Yeah. Again, I know we're libertarians and that's like the worst thing I could propose. But yeah, well, just it seems like with that particular issue, I, I don't know why either party would go for it because they kind of like the dynamic that they have with just the, the two parties. They don't. Democrats lost horribly. Yes, I know they won the presidency, or at least that's what we're thinking at this point. But they lost seats, uh, especially here in Florida. I mean, this is why I bring it up, because here in Florida, that is my goal is to reach out to the Democratic Party and see if they're interested and see if we can work together. Um, there's a lot of lobbyists here that are interested in that type of thing. So, you know, um, that could be a way to get it done. We don't have to be pure in 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 our policies and moving our policies forward. So if there's a group of people, even if they're the Green Party, I mean, we worked with them, uh, at least here in Florida, we we definitely worked with them on Amendment 3, which was um, convoluted voting. So you can't get a, a petition on the ballot unless it goes twice. Uh, like people have to vote on it twice. It was just some real big mess. So we worked with them. Um, I don't know that that's the reason why it was defeated, but, you know, we have to just realize that if we aren't working with other people who have the resources that we lack, who have the want to get these things done, um, we're never going to get it. You know, it's never going to happen. If the Democratic Party was still the anti-war party, I would say, let's go to them and see how we can actually get out of war, because it doesn't matter which party accomplishes it. It matters that we just accomplish it. Absolutely. So what's what's sort of the plan uh, for 2024 just going forward with the Libertarian Party, the Hispanic outreach? Like, how do we how do we do this? Right. So as of now, it's still a work in progress. Um, I've I've this this campaign has taught me a lot of um, just little lessons along the way. Um, my partner, Zach Foster, and I have agreed to do this show as long as people will watch it over the next four years uh, so that we continue to amplify our voices within uh, Latin America. Um, and in this project of ours is not just about the United States. We are really passionate about spreading liberty in Latin America. And there's a lot of think tanks in Argentina and Chile, a lot of um, influencers as well. There's universities. There, I think it's in Guatemala. There's a university that's like libertarian completely libertarian. Um, so, you know, there's a lot of ideas out in Central America and South America that are libertarian and we can, you know, help each other out. And also it is in our interest in America, if we are able to help these other countries um, and their policies, you know, then they won't necessarily want to come so much to the United States. It's not such a big battle. Obviously, I don't think that our little organization is going to do it anytime soon. But I think these ideas are important. And then um, in addition to that, I, I think working outside of the Libertarian Party framework, um, we need to copy what the Republicans and the Democrats do. And they, um, you know, they wrote the campaign finance law, so they know exactly how to do these things. They have all these PACs and these uh, entities that they create so that um, they can do these different functions. We just have the Libertarian Party. So there's a max donation and we can't really go around that. Um, you know, even for people who donate, we have a few uh, people who leave the Libertarian Party in their will. And so it has to be structured in some weird way because there's only a certain amount of money they can give. So you hear these these people 
you know, giving millions of dollars or, you know, to, to Republicans and Democrats and you wonder how do they do it? Well, they have super PACs and they have all these different avenues. We don't have any of that. And it's not just about collecting the money. It's about how you spend it. So uh, young uh, Yal, young, uh, I completely uh, spaced out on it. Uh, young Americans for Liberty, I believe. Oh, yeah, yeah. Okay. That they do the door knocking. They started off as a libertarian entity and now they just say Liberty. These are the type of organizations that we really need to work with and, um, you know, push our ideas forward. Again, even if it's not directly with the Libertarian Party, because if we wait for one person to come and be, it's like what we talk about all the time. These great ideas will come and they'll happen. And then we just kind of sit around and we're like, well, the Libertarian Party kind of failed this time. And we're like, <laughs> you are the Libertarian Party. <laughs> uh, <laughs> That's yeah. something we can do it. <laughs> I'm definitely somewhat guilty of, of that. I don't, uh, admittedly, yeah. I'm not very involved with the Libertarian Party in general. I just kind of follow it, you know, um, from the sidelines. So I, I guess, yeah, I should probably get more involved. And But you're doing a podcast. I, I am doing a podcast. Voice. Yeah. So I mean, you can't put yourself down. You're definitely doing something and you're getting, you know, the important thing is the message, the message that we give to people people who are sick and tired of the situation that's going on, um, we can't be the only ones seeing it. We're just the only people talking about it. Yeah. But imagine being us before we discovered libertarians and seeing all of this going on around us and being like, oh my God, am I crazy? Am I the only one that sees this? Well, you know, we can we can help those people see that they have a voice. Yeah, and the, the one good thing about COVID, this pandemic and these lockdowns, I mean, this should be a libertarian's wet dream in terms of messaging and recruitment. I mean, you can't, if you had talked to me just like six months, or I guess it's been more than six months. How was that a ago, year? Though, oh my God. <laughs> yeah, it's been like freaking nine months. So, But like a year ago, if you were to tell me half of the stuff that they're getting away with now on the state and local level alone, I, I would just be like, okay, I mean, I'm a pretty radical libertarian, but we're not going to have to sit in front of the TV and and listen to see what we can do the next day or like an 8.30 curfew or how many people you can have over for Thanksgiving. That is the craziest thing. When, when they've decided that they're canceling Thanksgiving and Christmas and people are like, well, I guess it's the way it has to be. Yeah. Is this the country that through, you know, that we went to war over a tax on tea? <laughs> Yeah. And it was like 2% or 3%, <laughs> you know? And, and so it's like Biden's tax plan is 62%. And I'm like, and people are like, yeah, but that's only of the millionaires and billionaires. I'm sorry. I live in Miami, $400,000 sounds like a lot if you're from other places, but if you're from Miami, New York, California, that's not a whole lot yeah, of money. Not if you have a family. <laughs> yeah. I've got four kids. Try raising them on, you know, $50,000 in Miami. It's just not going to happen. So, right. you know, it's, it's tough. And um, it's, it, I, I, if that's not winning people over, I don't know what will. Yeah. Yeah. So why do you think they, uh, the Libertarian Party, what did, what did we get? Like 1% of the, the vote this year? Well, yeah, it's 1.7%. Okay. <laughs> Almost we'll round up to two. We'll round it up to two. I don't want to pick it up too bad. <laughs> Um, I started the campaign thinking that we were going to, you know, actually do it. I was like, definitely 5%. I think, you know, 10% is in our reach. Um, I totally missed the mark on that one. Um, I bet somebody and I owe him a lot of, uh, I, I bet my friend in Georgia, the country that, um, 
you know, how it would go. So I guess I owe him plane tickets to Miami. Um, he was going to pay for my my trip over that way if, okay. if I got the 10%. Oh, so that's my own fault for, for bragging. Um, I really believed that we were going to make it. I really believed that somebody like Joe Jorgensen, a woman, a woman giving sound policy ideas, a woman speaking to, you know, these issues of lockdowns, of the government telling us what we can and can't do. I mean, if you heard her speak, even in her least inspiring day, she sounded better than the other two candidates. How could we lose? And then, you know, we didn't get any media coverage and they refused to include her in the polls. And polls are actually important, not just to get into the debate, but it's also so that people hear that there's more than two candidates. Right, get your name out there. Yeah, are you voting for Biden? Are you voting for Trump? Are you voting for Jorgensen? Oh, wait, there's another option. You know, I think that's really how Gary Johnson got so far ahead after polling and polling and polling, people started realizing that there was more options as well. So um, all of these things, it was kind of just the perfect storm. We didn't even get heard. And yeah. that's really sad. <laughs> yeah, well, I mean, this year, I always feel like when there's an incumbent, the libertarians are going to struggle a little more. But 2024, who knows, you know, we're going to have, I don't know what the Republicans are going to come up with. But I don't think anybody's going to be too happy with whatever ends up from the, the Biden-Harris campaign. I mean, I can't imagine that working out at all. I can't imagine them being happy. Happy. I mean, they haven't even gotten into office, and they're already proposing this legis this these crazy types of legislation. Um, I mean, I, I hope all I can I, all I can really offer people is I hope it gets better. I hope we do something differently, and people start hearing us. I mean, I think we missed an opportunity. All things being, you know, in hindsight, twenty twenty. Um, if we would have gone with Vermin Supreme, I believe we would have probably made that impact. We needed somebody in this year to go to those protests and do the things that would have called people's attention and been out in the front lines of these protests. I mean, that was totally Vermin Supreme's shtick, if I may. Okay. Um, and I think that really would have been um, beneficial for us. What I will say, if anybody is a delegate listening, next time around, the top question for me for the libertarian, you know, nomination process is who's on your team and are you ready to go day one? Um, I think that a lot of us that go to these things, we don't necessarily talk about our experiences. We don't debrief. We don't have institutional knowledge. And that's a huge part of what I'm hoping to accomplish and get stuff institutionalized is letting people know if you're a delegate, you have a job and our job should be, hey, who is on your team? Do you have a logo? Do you have... Uh, you know, these plans, we're, we're so concerned about the libertarian message, which, yes, is very important. Don't get me wrong. Um, but this is a job. Becoming our nominee is a huge job. How are you going to fundraise? Who's going to make these decisions? Who's making the policy decisions? Who's going to be on your Twitter team? <laughs> I mean, there was a few tweets that weren't yeah. so popular. And, right. and Joe's Twitter team was amazing. But, you know, really, her leadership made the decisions and everybody else has to follow along. And so that's, you know, we really need to do our due diligence. Yeah, the the Twitter stuff, that was unfortunate because I don't remember any, you know, specific tweets about 
the lockdowns or the pandemic or the riots or anything like that. It's just, you just remember the two or three worst ones, you know, not enough to be, not be she racist. Did speak about be- all of those things. She did. I swear Joe Jorgensen was on top of all of that. And, you know, um, shout out to Susie, who was her Twitter uh, and Elaine, who are her, her social media uh, people, you know, they did a great job in most of the time. It's just, the ones that got all this attention were the horrible ones, unfortunately. Right. So imagine doing your job and you do 99% of the time, great. And then that one time that you really screw up, you know, it's national news. Yeah. So Yeah. Well, that, that seems to be them. the only time libertarians make national news. Right. <laughs> when they have I an mean, Aleppo moment. <laughs> it's better than sticking your tongue out at, at a newspaper reporter. That's true. Yeah. God, was he weird. <laughs> he's so, no, no, he's not weird. He's just, it's his personality. He's, he's, you know, everybody's different. I, I really enjoyed his, that whole heart attack on stage. Come on, Gary's just such a character. <laughs> yeah. Uh, he's definitely the highest the elected libertarian. <laughs> I love to stick. I mean, come on. You, you gotta love him. The man. He seems like a nice guy. I don't, I've never really talked to him or, or met him or anything. So that's my um, one claim to fame. <laughs> what's that? That's my one claim to fame. I know Gary Johnson. <laughs> oh yeah. <laughs> well, you got a lot of pictures out there with prominent libertarians. Do I? Well, at least the one on your, um, your Twitter profile is you, Joe and Spike, right? Yeah. That was at their, uh, the, the election night party. Yeah. Oh, okay. How was that? Um, it was good. It was, uh, I think it was going to be a better party. And then we started like seeing the results come in and I, you could feel, you know, everybody was just really trying to have a good time, but you could tell we were all just like, really, really, yeah. huh. <laughs> you know, speaking of that party, um, I have it on my desk. So I got a bottle of bourbon that was made specifically, well, this, this, uh, batch of it was made specifically for the, I don't know if you can actually see it. It says Jorgensen yeah. Cohen on the label and she signed it for me. So that's awesome. That's kind of my, my one momentum. And it's the hundredth anniversary of women's right to vote special edition bottle, which is all the more special. It was this year. The craziest thing seriously was on the hundredth anniversary of the 19th amendment, giving the right women, the right to vote. We had a woman running for office and not a single mention in the mainstream media of any of this. It was just so pathetic. I mean, I'm just so disappointed in the American media in general. Yeah. And and Latin American, I'm, I'm, oh my God, the Latin American media is even worse, to be honest, but. Yeah. Oh yeah. It was all just about having the first black vice president and one of the worst human beings on the face of the earth, in my opinion. <laughs> Absolutely. I don't understand how anybody can withhold information um, that might lead to somebody being, I mean, even if that's her job, I don't, I don't get it. I don't get yeah, it. And uh, she incarcerated almost 3000 people for cannabis. Yeah. You have to be a horrible person. I mean, there's, there's only one explanation. It's like, Oh, I want to run for office someday and I don't want to get these cases overturned. It's going to make me look bad. So I'll just uh, suppress some DNA evidence. That's going to get somebody off of death row. Can you imagine though? Like when you think that through though, because it's, we take it almost like a joke, like, Oh, well, you know, she's just a, but think that through, think about the type of person, you know, that there's an innocent man behind bars. Yeah. You know that his life, because you know that what goes on in these jails isn't even, you know, we we take away your your liberty, we take away your freedom, but then we like, treat you like crap in these jails. I mean, we, there's been so many cases, um, 
whatever. I don't even want to get into that. But imagine being on those front lines and knowing these things and still being like, yeah, well, my running for office is more important, you know? Yeah. Yeah. And then people are just willing to overlook that. It's, uh, I think we have a, an uphill battle here. People were willing to overlook a lot. We had two accused rapists. Yeah. We had the oldest people ever running for office and both were accused of rape multiple times. So I obviously Trump in that sense is a little worse. He had, I think, 35 accusations versus Biden's one rape and a few touchy feely, which I find both to be horrific. There's, there's no, I mean, I I've said this to other people. If, if uh, anybody touches my daughter, the way Biden touches those little girls, especially the one, the little girl with the red dress uh, that he puts his hand in between like her arm and right under her breast. If any man touches my daughter without her permission like that, you know, I, Probably there would probably be um, some yeah. scratching and some yeah. you know? um, violation of the non-aggression <laughs> principle, perhaps. A hundred percent. Yeah. So I can't imagine people looking at that and being like, yeah, that's not a big deal. This man can now go into any school. He has access to all of our children. And we did that. Yeah. 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 No, I have three sisters of my own and I, I wouldn't let anybody touch them that way either uh right i mean it makes my blood boil my my mommy bear blood you know it's like (sighs) where were that where was that little girl's parents and why didn't she say anything and they probably didn't notice but it's all over the place yeah or or they just make an exception for politicians like we do with all sorts of things that we let them get away with that we wouldn't let a normal person do and we say it like nonchalantly like oh well he's a politician yeah like that's literally what people say as if that's an excuse. <laughs> oh well, he's a politician. <sighs> well, um, I don't know how much time you have. How long can you go tonight? You tell me. I I mean I'm having a great time. We can keep going. What? <laughs> <laughs> I feel like this needed more alcohol. <laughs> yeah, are you gonna drink that bottle? Never. Never. No, no, my kids know that they cannot touch mommy's bottle of bourbon. It is, <laughs> you know, maybe, maybe Joe does something later down the line and I'm like, oh, I no longer want this thing. But no, I am so proud of, of uh, even, yes, the 1.7 whatever percent. I am very proud of her. I think that she ran. Uh, Was it, uh, do you know the, the demographic breakdowns of that yet? Was it more women voting this time around? Um, I don't have the the full demographic breakdown. Um, the last I heard, we had 70% of her votes were 35-year-old or 40-year-old and under. So we know that libertarians tend to come from, you know, the younger crowd, millennials, gen, um, uh, you know, the younger generations. I like Spike Cohen's theory on that, which is the younger generations have to opt in for everything. So if you think about like on your computer, you have to opt in if you want to receive emails, you know, you have this ability to say, I want these things or I don't want these things. And so for them, this concept of, well, you can choose all of these things except for your government. I think that's that's where we're going to make the biggest inroads. Um, and I'd really like to see the Libertarian Party focus more on that generation, you know, on the uh, the younger kids, the TikTok people. I mean, look at what the TikTok generation managed to do to Donald Trump. I mean, we need these people. We need the people that would get all the tickets and, uh, uh, for an event because they thought it was K-pop. 
I think I might be losing you. Oh, we froze a little. Yeah, I might be losing you here. My internet connection is unstable. <laughs> it is Mexico. Mexico. <laughs> yeah, well, I think my buddy actually came in. He's probably doing something on the on the Wi-Fi now. That's chewing up some of our uh, bandwidth. Yeah. But um, let's see. Is there anything else we we didn't cover? Well, there, there's how long we can do this until our Wi-Fi. <laughs> there you go. Um, I think we've covered it all pretty much. Yeah. Is yeah. there anything we haven't talked about? I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. Yeah. I don't even remember what we talked about 10 minutes ago. I've, I've killed <laughs> quite a few brain cells out here. But uh, really? what have you been doing so, during the, the tell whole? Me about, tell me about Mexico. About Mexico? Oh, no, go ahead. No, sorry. Yeah, I was going to say, tell that. me about the Mexican healthcare. Oh. Tell me about the Mexican healthcare. Yeah. Well, so there's a big dental industry down here for a lot of, um, a lot of Canadians come down and they, and I don't know what, what's going on in Canada. Cause I thought they had all this free universal healthcare going on, but they come down here and they pay to get their, their teeth done. Um, there's a lot of plastic surgery going on. And, um, then the, the hospital like that Kiara went to, that was a, that was a private hospital. So I think it was pretty nice. But I mean, when you look at what, what they charged for, you know, uh, I think it was a three night stay and a bunch of tests. Uh, you know, they were testing her for two and a half days straight. The The total bill was only like 2000 US dollars or something like that, oh. at least so far. So, I mean, it looks like a lot when you get it in, you know, a $40,000 peso bill. Right. But uh, at least with the exchange rate here, um, it's, it's, it's a lot cheaper for everything. We have pharmacies everywhere that you can just go and buy over the counter stuff. Like uh, my mom ha has uh, put me on a mission to buy all these like dermatology creams and stuff that they use that it costs like $250 for a bottle this big. And I can just go and get it over the counter here at a pharmacy. It's like 25 bucks. Isn't that so, crazy? Yeah. You know, that's kind of going back to the U.S. stuff. I mean, that's when people are like, the government needs to be in charge of our health care. Never forget that these people were the ones that made it illegal for us U.S. citizens to cross the border, either to Canada or Mexico, and buy these drugs at a fraction of a cost. So obviously, you know, skin creams probably aren't to save your mom's life. But if you have any number of conditions that, that you do need medication to save your life, it's illegal for you to go get it cheaper. So the United States values more this, you know, you have to get it here and possibly not afford it rather than let you do what you need to, yeah. to go get it somewhere else cheaper. Yeah. So, I mean, those same people that that's their value system, we want to make them in charge of our healthcare here. <laughs> yeah. It's always about control over, you know, your life or your, your family's life, anything like that. They'd much rather surrender that and keep their control. They yeah, are busy. Yeah, I do love that about Mexico. They're the pharmacies and you can just, you know, prescriptionless. Yeah. It's, yeah, it's, it's great. <laughs> it's pretty funny now because even years ago, I've been coming down here for about 12 years and they were kind of like, it, it depended on which pharmacy you went to. Some of them would require you to have a prescription if you're trying to get painkillers or something like that. Now it's like, they're just waving you in. They've got a laminated menu. Like, hey, you want some Valium? You want some diazepam? <laughs> like, 
<laughs> you buy wow. six boxes, I'll give you a price break. I'm like, actually, I just wanted a bottle of water. I don't think I need 250 pills of, of Valium. But, uh, <laughs> I mean, I'm sure there's a market for it somewhere around this yeah. side of the board. Yeah. And yeah. I mean, which is why that- people do it, which is why we have people smuggling it. I mean, you know, we really should be able to just buy medicine from Mexico and have it shipped by the pharmacy. Right. And you know, I see a lot of people with that are like abusing the medications down here. I don't know of any like uh, opioid problem or anything like that, like that we have in the U.S. Um, that could be the culture. Sure exists, that's that's very common. Yeah. But it's not like they're just dropping that's, dead. That's in the very common with it. Hispanic cultures. Say that again. That's very common with Hispanic cultures. Um, pretty much all of Latin America's. That's been the way it is for years. So, for example, Peruvians will tell you they make cocaine. They don't take cocaine. They tend to produce it and export it. So it's just kind of a cultural thing. It's a Hispanic thing. Um, we tend to be more on the alcohol and a little less on the drugs. But yeah. I'm sure that's going to change eventually. Yeah. Well, you would think, you know, the, the horror stories that they would tell you if we could just go to a far, uh, a drugstore and buy something over the counter, they would make it seem like that would just lead to all kinds of drug overdoses and abuse and everything like that. And at least over here, you don't well, you really know who see you, it. Yeah. You know who, who says that um, on the campaign trail, Dr. Jorgensen, that was literally one of her points. And she would say things like, that, that we don't have a drug problem, we have a prohibition problem. And then she would go into this little, you know, thing about how, when was the last time that a liquor store got into a shootout with another liquor store? Or that, um, you know, liquor store owner, you know, walks up and down the hallways of a high school looking for somebody to sell it to. The reality is prohibition causes all of these problems. It's not a drug problem. It's a prohibition problem. Mm. You know, she she had that one point definitely down, Pat. Yeah. Well, and it's just crazy that everybody understands how bad alcohol prohibition was. I mean, we right. ended up with more uh, bars or more speakeasies than bars. It created the mob, essentially. Um, and, and people died. Right. Alcohol could kill you back then. <laughs> You'd get some bootleg thing and possibly die. And that's what happen- happens now. I mean, you can you can get cocaine and it might be laced with fentanyl and then you're going to die. And it wasn't the cocaine that killed you. It was the cocaine laced with something else that you had no way of knowing. So, you know, it's just prohibition is the problem. Yeah. And the solution is to end prohibition. I mean, what consenting adults do in their homes should be nobody's uh, problem. That that too. And it just, it would fix so many other issues that are on the periphery that we all are are talking about. Immigration, you know, uh, the war on drugs, like the the prisons filling up with people, you know, um, minorities' lives being ruined, all all this stuff. It's it's all related to to that one thing. Which is so crazy that we elected Kamala Harris, you know, and, and Biden, but they literally came up with these rules, you know, they, the tougher sentences on drugs, the fact that it's tougher to, you know, tougher sentences for crack rather than cocaine, you know, it's just these things that these two particular people had such a big hand in, and it's what we're all protesting. And yet we overwhelmingly voted for it. I, I just, there's such a huge disconnect. I don't, know how to fix it. I haven't met anybody. I haven't heard any good ideas yet. How do we fix this? 
yeah, no, I'm at I'm at a loss myself because yeah, you would think that all, all of the stuff going on right now, and we were rioting for like three or four straight months over police brutality, and I, I think it turned out that that guy had fentanyl in his system, and like it's just everything points to to this one direction, and. 90% of the population just wants to go the other way. And it's, really I guess it's a messaging thing from the, you know, from the media, from the government schools, they're just bombarded with all kinds of propaganda. It makes it hard to see. We need to red pill more people. I don't know what red pilled you. Like you said, I don't think it was one thing. It was just uh, so many. Um, again, I was in business and every time I had to pay the government um, you know, when you're a small business owner, your margins are small and paying somebody just to calculate your taxes is a huge burden. I mean, it's not that you're paying an accountant to tell you, oh, hey, here's what, you know, you did right. And if you fix these things, you'll be better off. Like that's what you need an accountant for. But instead, the budget I had was going to pay an accountant to tell me how much I owed. And then every time I had to write out you know, more money than I was taking home to the U.S. government, to the silent partner that if I failed, they'd still come after me. But if I won, then they'd take this huge chunk of my money. I mean, it was just that had to have been the biggest reason I became a libertarian. Um, that John Stossel was a huge impact for me. Ron Paul, of course, you know, reading um, even Neil Bortz. He wrote a book. I believe he did the or fair tax or he was part of it. There's just so many libertarian voices that. I didn't know we're libertarian, but they were kind of popular. Uh, even Rich Dad, Poor Dad. He was at Freedom Fest a few years ago. Um, when I first read his book, probably 20 years ago, I was like, oh, wait a minute. You mean the way government's telling us that we should, you know, do life isn't the right way. So there's there's a lot of ways that you can get red pilled. Um, just pick your pick your poison. Yeah. Something everybody's had government touch one aspect of their life. At well, least yeah, well, nowadays it's it's unavoidable now, which is another, I guess, silver lining of this whole thing is a lot of people would kind of check out from politics, government, because they could avoid it in their day to day lives. But now it's just like it's all right in your face and it's unavoidable. And so those people that are now getting interested in government, I think, are very receptive to our message. And I hope so. yeah. From your lips to God's ears, because we really need, and especially, it does give me hope, though, that these young kids are so interested and are the ones that are voting and are listening. And if we can just get the next generation, even if we don't get the presidency in 2024 or 2028, if we can just start educating the younger generation, I have faith that we can change this around. Yeah. Well, so what what effect has this whole pandemic had on your kids? You have four four kids? I have four. I have from 20 to 11. So I run the gamut on uh, kids. Um, honestly, I think not a whole lot, but we don't live in an apartment. I have a house. Um, we have a yard. So they've had a full, you know, life. They, 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 they're very privileged. That's the bottom line. You know, this pandemic, it depends if you are a Kim Kardashian that can take all your best friends to Tahiti for, you know, your birthday, this really doesn't affect you that much. But if you're, you know, even if you're rich, if you live in New York City and you have a, you know, very small apartment and you've got kids, it's going to affect you differently and, and not being able to leave. So I was blessed by living in a place where I can just walk outside without a mask. And so we got into the whole gardening and the uh, chicken raising and, you know, and so it's been wonderful for my kids. But I understand that I'm 
definitely in the minority. Yeah. Um, you know, but it, it certainly seems like it could do a, a ton of psychological damage to, to younger kids. I mean, your kids are a little older now, so that's it did good. do psychological damage to my 20 year old. I have to say that my 20 year old has never like and I don't want to say too much. I don't want him to like kill me later. But, um, you know, he's been depressed. And I can't imagine being 20 years old, having to postpone going off to college, having to, you know, not get to go out and do the things that we all did at, you know, 20, go meet girls, go hang out with your buddies, right. you know, a whole year of a 20 year old stuck, yeah. you know, they, his buddies have come over, of course, and I let him go and, and hang out. I realize that he's, he's not really in, in a risk and, you know, I rather, I rather him go and get COVID to be honest, than go and do something stupid like you know, so many uh, suicides are up. And that's something that we're not talking about. Um, like I said, I was big in cannabis. Uh, before COVID, there was an average of 22 soldiers uh, or veterans every single day committing suicide. Yeah. And that number is up at least 100%. That means that there's at least 40 veterans every day committing suicide. And so, or probably an average of that. And, you know, <laughs> what's worse? Really, this this yes, COVID is very bad and it's killed a lot of people. But so is your mental anguish. So right. is being home and not having any money. So is not being able to feed your family. Um, the people who are like, well, you can just stay home. No big deal. I don't think they realize what it's like for a lot of people in the world. Yeah, no, it's destroying people's everything they've worked for their entire lives. There's their businesses is failing now. They've had to close that down. Um, I, yeah, I couldn't imagine just losing a year of of your life and at any time, but you know, your twenties, like that's, that's a time that I still, you know, wish I could go back to and I got to live all of it. You know? <laughs> yeah. This poor kid missed out, you know, uh, he was supposed to start college last year and the college has been closed down. So it's, it's, it's tough, you know, it, I think it's tough for them. So while for the little ones, it's no big deal for the big one, you know, for the older ones, it's, it sucks. It really does. You know, I have a 16 year old daughter that wants to go out and hang out with boys and her friends. And, you know, she just got her driver's license, go drive, go do things. And um, it's not exactly easy. So I I don't think we should discount anybody's struggle. Everybody's struggle is different. And I think that's the big message is that sometimes, especially as libertarians, we're not necessarily as gracious to other people. And I really wish within our own party, we did that. You know, every now and then we just had a little bit of compassion for other people and what they're going through. You know, it's one of those things I hope to bring to, to the party a little bit. That'd be nice. Can you cut down on some of the libertarian infighting? That would be great. I think we really need to work on that in general and just keep putting that out there. If we're fighting each other, you know, how are we going to go out and as a united front and fight, um, the big monster, the the people that actually want to hurt us, you know, these people that are making these laws, they really do want to hurt you. I mean, I, I don't know if you were aware when we had Spike Cohen here in Miami, um, the government shut down the location where we we're going to have his event. And so we ended up protesting in the street. But the government came and shut down five businesses, all of the locations that we were one of we were going to have it at one. But those were like our backup places, pretty much. And they shut them down the night before our event over noise violations. One is a restaurant that just has regular ambient noise. So, and they gave them a $500 fine to each of these locations. So, I mean, I think that, that until you're impacted over your, your policies, over your, your personal beliefs, 
like yeah. we were, it just doesn't hit home. People just kind of are like, well, it doesn't really affect me until yeah. it does. And so maybe th that is going to be a good way to reach the younger generation because normally, you know, they've been in school till they're like 26 or something now. They, they don't um, have any of that real world experience that, um, that, that changes a lot of people. So yeah, this, I guess there, there's another silver lining to be had. As long as we take advantage of it. And I really do think that we need to focus on our messaging. We need to come together. I know I sound like a broken record, but we do. We do need to come together and stop. I mean, who cares who's more libertarian than who? Oh yeah, that, that stuff drives me crazy. You, you take somebody that's, you know, <laughs> you finally get somebody who's remotely interested in what you have to say and you immediately just start berating them because they're not Murray Rothbard. <laughs> right. I, I'm going to get some, some, some pushback on this. Cause I, um, I did sort of attack Austin Peterson. So, uh -oh. yeah. So, um, yeah, I probably am the worst person to be saying this, but I do think we need to stop attacking each other generally. I mean, if you say something dumb, I probably will attack. <laughs> no, no, I'm kidding. But yeah, um, but, but I, he's also an established libertarian. So I think once is you put he, he's an established there, Republican now. I is that right? Well, you know, he there was this great documentary that um, a friend of mine did. I wish I had the name, the title of it. Um, that was on Joe Jorgensen's campaign. Um, I think it's something for. I'll find it. Um, and in Austin Peterson is in this documentary speaking about against Donald Trump and how we need Joe Jorgensen. And then just a few weeks later, he was trying to tell libertarians to vote for Donald Trump. So I, I have a problem with him particularly um, because he does have such a big voice within the libertarian party, because people actually believe what he says. And then he he turns around and says, go vote for the other guy, you know, and there there is no redeeming quality in that. There is no. So it did, it did quite bother me. Um, I'm not going to lie. It wasn't my proudest moment. I, um, I said some things I probably shouldn't have. And since it's online uh, social media, it'll be out there forever. Um, but, you know, I, I, I think generally we do need to take a step back. And I'm the first one to say it's harder said than done. But, um, you know, I, I really just dislike him so much. <laughs> <laughs> Tell us how you really feel. <laughs> Oh, no, you don't want that. <laughs> that was my politically nice way of saying it. <laughs> what? Uh, so where do you fall on the, the scale of libertarianism? Ooh, um, as I continue down this wormhole path, I think I'm going towards anarchy a little. Um, I see less and less of a need for a centralized government. Um, you know, it's it's that thin line. I, I kind of like our court system and I I like having a military to protect us. And yeah, we need police officers. But the more I go down that path and we get things like, you know, <clears throat> each other helping each other out and you see this happen day in and day out, um, the less I'm inclined to believe that we're also evil and we need somebody to babysit us and tell us how to do things. Um, yeah. Humans, we're, we're resourceful and we're generally speaking, I mean, there's some real bad people out there, but generally speaking, we're pretty good. We're pretty yeah. good. We're generous. From, from my perspective, to the extent that you have the, the bad evil people, I want them as decentralized as possible. I don't want them to have a, a $7 trillion budget. <laughs> exactly. That's exactly the problem is that these people that you probably wouldn't give a job to, we let them rule over us. I mean, 
I, I, Miami-Dade County, our, our starting budget is, I think, $8 billion. Um, that's a lot of money. That's more than seven states. Our, our county budget is bigger than a lot of different states. Um, you know, that says something. We're only 2.7 million people or something along those lines. I mean, we shouldn't have somebody ruling over that kind of money, you know, that has no incentive to help us. So big things in Miami, we don't have like public transportation. We don't have like things that libertarians were, we probably would be like, eh, eh, I don't know how to solve this problem, but definitely not by increasing the budget that is already so inflated. Yeah. Yeah. Well, that's, that's the problem. They're always incentivized to fail because they get more money, more resources, it's never an issue of they did the wrong thing with what we gave them. It's they just need more of it. They always need more of it. Yeah. Well, if, if you could take it, you know, of course you're I going mean, we're to. We're willing to give it. Why not? <laughs> yeah. Well, that's the other thing. There are a ton of people out there that say they're they're more than happy to pay their taxes. So I don't understand and to why those we, people huh? they can write a bigger check. They can, they can literally check. write a bigger check. Absolutely. No, Stroke Nothing stopping them. Or why can't we just do it voluntarily then? <laughs> like find your cause and give them that money. A lot more of it would go toward what, like you said, what, what you actually want them to be using the money for than the, the gigantic bureaucracy that, that goes into collecting it and spending it. And all I mean, that the worst stuff. part is there's no, there's no thing that you can point to that the U S government does well. So wars, we've been at wars, for, you know, at war for 20 years now. Um, education. In 1979, we created the Department of Education. Our budget has increased exponentially. And yet, in 1979, when that department was created, we were number one in the world for education. We're now at number 29, I believe, 27 or 29. So we spend more money. We have more people. We definitely have a huge bureaucratic apparatus. Yep. And yet our students are failing more now than they were in 1979. Why do we keep growing these institutions? <laughs> I mean, at some point, can we just be like, slow down there? <laughs> just roll it back a little bit. Uh, it, it is just incredible that, yeah, a lot of people think we've had the Department of Education forever. And it is, I mean, just barely past my lifetime. And the results have been horrible. Um, yeah, they can't, they can't do anything right. I ask people all, all the time, just point to one thing that they do well, other than, uh, I guess they're, they're good at throwing people in cages for nonviolent offenses. Yes, they are. Yes, they are. And building the cages and, you know, we're really good at that. We're really good at, I would say we're good at war, but we're not. We're just really good at killing people, I suppose. Yeah. And, and good at, uh, yeah, well, making money off of it for other companies. It's not even for the United States. Oh yeah. I okay. mean, obviously the, the, the shareholders are, you know, live in the United States or whatnot, but you know, the U S government doesn't see the profit. So oh, no, we no. are paying for something so that some other entity can get rich. And I just, oh, God, it just boggles my mind. I, I wish I could, I think if there's one superpower I could have, I just want to understand how we got here and like what people are thinking. Yeah. I mean, it, it happens so fast within, I don't know, like a hundred years or so. 
I always, you know, I, you got the end the fed shirt on again. I, I track everything back to that. <laughs> you know, just like as soon as we got that federal reserve, it just seems like everything went to shit. And we don't even know what they're doing. I mean, no the average, most people think that my end the fed shirts means like the federal government. Like some people just don't even know. And so, you know, obviously I, there's some quote about how the, the government's never going to teach you how to overthrow them. I mean, obviously what we are teaching in schools is not anything that's going to empower us to make a change. And so the first thing we should be doing as libertarians is, Hey, you already had your kids out in homeschool over COVID. Don't put them back. Don't ask the government to reopen the schools and have, um, I just took my kids to the pediatrician today. And the pediatrician was saying that all the kids that were going back to school are now getting all sorts of diseases, not just COVID. Um, because they've been in isolation for so long. So of course their immune systems are done. Hey, solve the problem. Don't send your kids back to school. Keep them at home, educate them. Um, you know, there's plenty of free things online to, to, to help you with it. Keep going down that route. Um, let's have more of that. That's going to be the, the change we all need. What are you using for your kids now? Um, I yeah. So my situation, again, is a little different. I um, am divorced from their father, so we have to make joint decisions. So we decided to not change anything and just keep them in their private school. And so they're okay. doing online instruction over their private school. But um, I mean, I, I bought them the uh, Tuttle Twins books. Oh, yeah. Um, <laughs> it, it, yeah, um, those were great. They have workbooks. I mean, there's a lot of libertarian curricula out there. Yeah, the, the Tuttle Twins. I have a, a nephew, actually, his birthday is today. He's going to be three. And I'm, I'm waiting for him to get to that age where I can start. Send it to him, him. now. Yeah. Send it to now. Those books are really easy to read if somebody reads it to him. I mean, they're great stories. We read the like worst thing to, to our kids. I mean, there's some books. Um, the Giving Tree. Oh, my God. Why? <laughs> <laughs> let's Let's instead read this to the kids. You know, why not? They're great stories. Yeah, I've heard good things. And I heard the guys on, I don't know, a podcast a, a few years ago. And I was like, oh, this is going to be great. I yeah, get to start they're, indoctrinating they're my nephew. <laughs> I made my kids read that. I'm like, you you know, read these books. Stop reading the magic school bus or whatever. Read these guys. <laughs> these are better. Um, why not? You know, keep teaching your kids. That's literally the only way, um, at least the only way I can see, because I don't think we're going to make it out of this Um People are just asking for more and more government. They're literally seeing what government is doing and asking for more. And uh, of course, the government's going to give it to them. Of course. Yeah. No. And I, I never understand that mentality, especially this day and age now where it's just how, how could you be locked down for six months, nine months, whatever it is, and welcome more of it? You've been living like a vegetable for over half the year. And that doesn't seem to bother anybody. I, yeah, that's, ex I, like I said, I wish I understood this. I don't understand how a country that has the history we have, you know, there's nothing like freedom in the entire world. We were the experiment, right? We were the, the little country that could, we were the, the people that, that were like, well, we don't have much, but we're going to make it. And to go from there to, please government, you know, daddy government, please save me because I need to be taken care of. I just don't get how we've fallen so far. Yeah. 
yeah, sit at home and wait for them to cut you a, a $1,200 check that every six months or something is. But I have to bring it back to the to LP. We are doing that in the LP. Do you know how many people told me that there weren't enough signs of Joe Jorgensen out on the street? There wasn't enough, you know, this or that or the other thing. It's literally the same thing. We are those people. We need to go do it. Yeah. So what do you think is going to happen now in this uh, post-COVID pandemic world, next couple of years, next decade? Uh, the one, the side of me that, that uh, you know, is fearful, thinks that it's going to keep getting worse and we're going to have Venezuela happen here. Um, like I said, I lived through it. I was able to get out before um, it got really bad in Venezuela, actually uh, right around the time that Chavez was was elected. Um, so I didn't live through the worst parts of it. I never, you know, I never went without. Um, but that's really my worst fear. And then on the other side, it just takes, it just takes a big name. I feel like if we had, I don't know, an Elon Musk for crying out loud, somebody, we just need somebody to be like, all right, guys, <laughs> what are we doing here? I feel like that might save us. So I have some Maybe it's just the white knight, you know, all these Disney movies my whole life growing up that I feel like there's going to be some savior. Um, I hope I hope we just get our shit together and figure it out. Yeah. Otherwise, I don't know what's going to happen. Yeah, well, they're, they're talking about vaccines now. So we got two different vaccines competing. That that scares me a little Are bit. Are you going to get it? No, not if I'm going to try not to. Uh, I'm worried that they're not going to let me leave the country or something unless I get it. That, yeah. that kind of thing. I, I think to me, that's what one of my biggest fears of what's coming down the pike with a, a Joe Biden, Kamala Harris administration. They seem much more willing to be like, yeah, no, we, we get to inject you with something if you want to go back to work or if you want to travel between states and countries. Did you see... Uh, um Ticketmaster just said that you're going to need a, yeah. a vaccine of some sort or um, proof that you've had a COVID test. Right. Yeah. And and that's the other thing that I, I probably didn't see coming was like companies, private companies requiring something like that, just probably just because of they're afraid of the liability or whatever. But um, that is just I, I've seen a lot of stuff from private companies over the last uh, six months, nine months that has. Well, they want to really open back up. So, I mean, I don't blame them. They want to have business, right? They're going to end up going out of business like everybody else. So they're trying to figure it out. I don't blame them for that. I just don't know that I necessarily want to comply with that. But at least a concert is something that I can decide. But like you said, you know, if, if it's in or out of this country, well, <laughs> time to get a passport from somewhere else. I yeah. hear they're cheaper in the Caribbean these days. <laughs> there you go. Yeah. Or maybe there's uh, some corrupt doctor somewhere that I could pay to just pretend like I had it. I don't know. Ooh, I bet you that's going to be an industry in Mexico for sure. Yeah. Yeah. Well, oh, yeah. I that there's a black market in the negative tests. Really? Yeah. So people are buying like negative tests so that they can prove to their employer that they can go back to work <laughs> and stuff like that. <laughs> Wow. <laughs> That's very libertarian, actually. <laughs> yeah, the market will provide. <laughs> it will. So anyways, we need to start finding this market of doctors that will fake inject us with uh, yeah. COVID vaccines. Yeah, if you're listening, you're a doctor. Hit me up. <laughs> <laughs> yes, not me, because uh, not in the United States will I ever be offering such a thing. But Mexico, <laughs> that's a real possibility. <laughs>
Um, yeah, I mean, I, I don't want the vaccine, but um, I don't know that we can avoid it. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's scary to think they can hold you hostage. I mean, um, it's nothing that the United States has ever thought of before. But again, having grown up in other countries, being able to leave Venezuela or leave Cuba, uh, you needed special permission. And right now, our passport is almost one of the most useless ones. Right now, a Caribbean passport works better. You're accepted into more countries than you are with the United States passport. Our passport now restricts us majorly. Nobody wants us. So we went from having one of the best passports, one of the most coveted passports in the world to the pariah of passports. And that was overnight. (laughs) Imagine what else can fall quickly. It really is just an albatross around our neck, just being a U.S. citizen. I mean, I think (laughs) about renouncing all the time. You know, they charge you to do this now. You know that they they don't have to let you renounce. They've they've said no to people. To renounce their citizenship. Like, no, no, not you. We need you. <laughs> oh, my God. Yeah, so I hope that you're, like, considered on their, like, failure list where they actually allow you to renounce. Because if you're, like, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. It is crazy. Yeah. Well, so how many businesses do you have? Um, currently, I'm starting up another one. I'm now a hemp farmer. Um, but before that, I... Uh, I started a company with my mom when I was 17 that she kept until very recently where she sold it to my sister. And then I started a, an online company in 2001 that um, I changed it over a bit at some point, got some, you know, a few awards from the Inc. 500, 5,000 fastest growing companies, and then um, had to leave it, unfortunately, with a divorce. So um, I've had my fair shares of ups and downs in the entrepreneurial world. Um, it's definitely my passion, but yeah. something that this whole COVID shutdown just isn't really, although you can grow hemp year round here in Florida. Um, I just, I, I, a lot of things were slowed down because of COVID. It was a new industry. We were actually given the licenses for hemp during COVID lockdown. So if you've ever started a company, starting something in the middle of lockdown, when everybody's, you know, they don't really want to meet and it's a little harder. Yeah, well, I was going to say, like, if you were to renounce your citizenship, I think you have to liquidate your company or pay some sort of exit tax on that. It's they really get you coming and going. It's I don't want to leave this country. How many countries do I have to leave? Plus, where are we going to go? <laughs> we're running out of places. Where are we going to go? Name that country that has, you know, American style everything. I mean, yeah, no, it's it's slim pickings out there, which is why I hope you're very successful with this libertarian campaign, because we really have to start rolling this back a little bit. We got to take a page from Latin America and stop leaving. We need all the smart people with ideas to stick around. And um, definitely we need to fight for the right to guns. That's that's to me the, the most important issue, um, the right to defend yourself. I'm all of five feet tall. And the right to defend myself is something that is incredibly important to me. The fact that people who don't live here, who aren't my size and weight can say, this is how you can defend yourself is crazy to me. It's absolutely insane. Yeah. I always thought that was one of the biggest selling points for the second amendment was to women. Like you guys, this is the greatest equalizer of all time. Right. Um, But we're scared. It's a scary thing. And I mean, 
you can get hurt, you know, like women, we, we tend to be worried about those things. We worry about our children getting into our guns. I can see why. I mean, it's a scary thing. I, I, you know, I'm around weapons quite a bit and it's still scary. I, I don't think there will ever come a time where I don't handle the gun with the utmost respect. Yeah. You know, when I go to the shooting range and I pull the trigger, it's a mix between exhilarating and, oh my God, like, <laughs> you know, everything gets like, you're, you're, at least for me, I'm scared, you know, it's, it, I don't think I'd ever take it lightly is the point. Yeah. Well, you shouldn't, you, you definitely shouldn't, but I, I'm a little surprised that, um, yeah, more people, I don't know, I guess the messaging on that is bad too, but they just think it's for hunting or something like that. And ugh. the second amendment was not written about hunting. No. There's nothing in the second amendment that was about hunting. And again, bringing it back to Venezuela, if you see what's going on there, you would realize that the only reason the, the government can do this is because they're not scared of their people. Yeah. Uh, same thing in Cuba, they force at 13, all children, male or female or whatever, um, get taken to the camps and they have to, they're taken, I think it's close to a year that they're separated from their parents. And the state tells you that the children belong to the state. They don't belong to the parents. And they're trained in how, in, in a militia. And then they're given guns for that time and then it's taken away. So everybody knows how to use a gun in Cuba, but nobody has access to one. So, you know, you have to realize that that's, done on purpose and there's a reason for it and every time they try and take away our gun rights here there's a reason for it you know we just can't let it happen yeah well said what are you shooting over there what do you got in your oh maybe you can't talk about it <laughs> i tend to not talk about it also i'm not very versed in guns um you know it's cute it's it goes pew pew. <laughs> um, <laughs> yeah, I, I like I said, I'm not obsessed with my gun. I just I'm obsessed with the uh, equalizer that it is. And I think it's something that I wish more people, uh, you know, the gay community, especially there. It's something that that is discussed a lot. You, you're you're harassed. You're um, targeted. And yet they're the first people that are saying you shouldn't have any guns. On the contrary, you should have all the guns. I mean, how many times is Pulse going to happen before they realize if, 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 you know, there was a huge campaign out there of like, you know, whatever, rainbow guns, nobody's going to go to a club like that and, and shoot it up. You know, I think that that at least uh, getting the messaging out, showing people that, that we aren't defenseless, that, you know, small little five foot, you know, hundred pound girls or, or, you know, gay men, we're not defenseless. People will start respecting it a little more. I think um, we're, the messaging is wrong there too, you know, and we have some great organizations in the LP. Um, Ashley Shade uh, has the outright libertarians. Um, we also have uh, a group of, um, I believe there's some, some gun organizations. There's something like uh, blazing sword and, um, That'll that'll take people to the gun range and teach them how to use web, you know, the, the guns in an environment that isn't like all macho bravado. Um, right. So if you're a woman and you want to get trained, if you're a gay man and you want to get trained and you don't want to get you know harassed, there are a lot of these organizations. So I hope people take advantage of them and learn to protect themselves. It's a great idea. Are they expensive? 
um, that I know of. Blazing Sword does it for free. It's a volunteer service. Even better. Um, yeah, yeah. And um, I'm not sure if um, Ashley Shade, I think they take donations for their their stuff, but um, libertarians by and large, I think we we do things just to help out. Yeah. No, that's that's great information. So yeah. Uh, yeah, if you're listening out there and you're not protecting yourself, hit up one of those organizations. Yeah, uh, I don't know that outright does anything with guns, but they definitely are promoting, um, lib- uh, you know, the LGBTQ messaging. Um, the blazing guns, blazing swords does. Blazing does do. swords. Okay. Yeah. yeah. Cool. Yeah. Is there uh, anything else you uh, you need to plug or anything like that? Not at all. I think I think we've we've probably hit the limit on what people will ever listen to. <laughs> I think we we hit that about an hour ago. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Maybe it'll be a two part episode. Yeah, I think so. I think uh, giving somebody two hours to listen to, I don't think. Uh... <laughs> well, time flies when you're having fun. <laughs> True. All right. So you got a website. You got. I do not. Nothing. I volunteer for all of this. Okay. I don't self-promote. Um, well, now with Libertad Hispano, but that's just on Facebook and Twitter and the YouTube page for LPTV. But I, I have not. Okay. I've I've been dedicating all my time to Joe, and it's only been just over a week, and I, you know, I'm catching my breath a little here. Awesome. Awesome. Well, uh, thanks for coming on. I had a great time. I know we ran a little long. But, uh, <laughs> Thank you. For I, I think me. people are going to enjoy it. This, this was a lot of fun. Thank you. I really appreciate it. And uh, if you're ever back on the side of the country. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I'm coming back for Christmas, but I don't know how long I'm going to stay. <laughs> they, they've locked down Chicago again. Oh, boy. Yeah. They have like a stay at home order in place for another month or something. So no mommies. Well, yeah. Hey, uh, Florida, I don't know what to tell you, but if they lock us down, my house is open. <laughs> I refuse. Right. I may have to actually take you up on that. We'll, uh, we'll see what happens. <laughs> All right. Awesome. Thank you. Yeah, no problem. Uh, good night. All right. Well, uh, thanks for listening, everybody. I had a, a wonderful time talking to, man, I look red, huh? The lighting is, <laughs> lighting is really bad in here. I uh, apologize for that. We'll see if we actually do the video or not, but yeah. Follow me on Twitter at Pedal Fiction. Don't forget to check out our website, pedalingfictionpodcast.com. And um, we'll be back next week. If you guys can do all that for me, I'll be back, uh, or not next week, later this week, Thursday, maybe Friday, something like that with a brand new episode. Until then, you guys know the drill. Just keep on pedaling that so-called fiction. Peace.